Can't you remind me? How do I start this again? <laughs> it's the hardest bit of the whole podcast, yeah. having to go, hello everyone, and well, it's just so difficult. In today's episode, we're talking about extreme life events, traumatic events, trauma, PTSD, and the guest on today's show is Ross from Hidden. So Ross is the founder of a recruitment business called Hidden, who are actually a Sanctus partner, and Ross shares with us his story of a, an extreme life event. Myself and Ben are on the podcast with Ross, uh, hearing his story, and yeah, really quite in it with him. Obviously, Ben's been on the podcast before. He's a Sanctus coach and he's our head of culture and values here. He's also, outside of that, a Gestalt psychotherapist. It's a pretty incredible story. Um, the most incredible story I've heard by, by a long way, to be honest. I think for anyone listening, it could be quite could bring up quite a lot. I know it did for me. It could kind of hit me like a freight train a few hours after I'd listened to it, so... Yeah, just, just bear that in mind as you're listening. If you do want to reach out to anyone or speak to someone and you're not quite sure where to turn, please check out the Sanctus directory to do so. Other than that, enjoy and let us know what you think. Leave us a comment, like, subscribe, all of that good stuff. Okay, cheers guys. We were just chatting to Scott and as, how did this come about? Did you reach out to Scott? Did Scott reach out to you? Scott reached out to me yeah, yeah, to join you here based on, I think, when we became Sanctus Partners and we opened up why we were, why we were kind of working with Sanctus to the office and I yeah. told my story yeah. and what it meant to me. Uh, Poppy and George were obviously there and um, I think something kind of hit them and then... Mm. I felt the confidence off the back of that to tell the story publicly once, which was a big thing. And then George was like, you've got to come on the Sanctus podcast. You've got to, to kind of our listeners will just really resonate with what you've got to say. And if it can have impact on anybody, then that's a good thing. And before we sort of, we'll go, obviously go try and go into it a little bit more. Sure. Um, I think we've got the working title we've got for this one was dealing with Extreme. extreme life yeah. events yeah. which extreme's uh, a big word isn't yeah it? um which to me when i when i saw that and obviously scott sends around a little sort of almost script beforehand um the word that came up for me was was like trauma and, and, and ptsd yeah. and which i think is i don't think it's a word we're avoiding or words we're avoiding using i think however we wanted to make it a bit more sort of catch-all i suppose what's important about talking about extreme life events, trauma, PTSD? For me, the event itself, and chatting to to George, um, this kind of created a similar understanding that when you have a life event that affects your mental health, that's when your perspective of mental health changes mm -hmm. and it drives more significance for you in the way that you run your own life and the way that you encourage people around you to run theirs. Because I think... It's that almost giant trigger point that changes your mindset for, oh my goodness me, this I've been swimming along in a bubble of happy life and um, not really had any awareness about my own mental health. And then when something like that happens, and extreme's an interesting word, isn't it? Because, you know, I think when we go into to my experiences, it is quite a unique and ex extreme event, but extreme is a subjective word and I think if anything stops somebody in their tracks or changes their mental state that for them is extreme yeah. and that's kind of I think how it should be considered yeah and what, what about you Ben I know you've sort of 
I was going to say a fan of trauma, which sounds crazy, yeah. but you know, I wouldn't quite put it yeah, that way. But you sort of, yeah. I mean, obviously, as a um, because I do come from a background of being trained as a psychotherapist, there's you know, there's been a huge amount of uh, progress made in like basically the last 30, 40 years on defining what we mean by a traumatic event, what that difference between stress post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress disorder, all of those things are slightly different. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to, um, to be here and talk about it, one is because I think some, like, as we're getting better at talking about mental health and this area of mental health around trauma or, or extremely stressful uh, events, um, also like as things uh, open up, sometimes also we use the words in a very interchangeable way. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people talk about things as being traumatic when that what they really mean is they're extremely stressful, for example. Mm. Um, which is not to say that that doesn't, that doesn't change anything in terms of necessarily the, how, how difficult it is for the person or it being significant in the way that you just described, that it uh, maybe alerts them to, their, to the fact that they have mental health that needs taken care of. Um, but just to talk more about it, I think, would be very helpful. Um, and also sometimes I think that uh, there are events that we can name and there are sometimes things that we carry with us because they happened before we, you know, were old enough to really, yeah, to to think, oh, I'm a person that is in the world, and then this thing happened and it impacted me. Um, so a lot of us carry around trauma or post-traumatic symptoms um, from when we were quite small. Um, and so I think talking about it might, I hope, opens up more curiosity. Even though I know trauma is actually quite a scary word and like affects us in quite a bodily way. Yeah. So I have a sense of this being an important thing to talk about and also needing, like, we all need quite a lot of support to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it's difficult. And is there a sort of, before again, before we yeah. continue, is there a sort of definition or, or is it a definition that you hold that sort of... Of... Of, tr- of something that differs from it being extremely stressful, let's yeah. say, to being traumatic or trauma? Yeah. Um, so just like top line right stress is just any like it's just your body's response to any demand placed on it and then you could imagine that something is extremely stressful you know if it's uh, dangerous or but even something very positive like i don't know getting married yeah right there's mm-hmm. like positive stress yeah and maybe sometimes negative stress associated <laughs> with that but you probably have quite a, a embodied response to it post traumatic stress is when uh, something happens there's a kind of three definitions of things that happen uh, in trauma either something happens to you that's a threat to your life or your bodily integrity uh, or you witness the similar like the same happening to other people or you hear about the same happening to other people and then there are some things that happen that they define as post-traumatic stress which is having flashbacks or being in a state of like um what they call chronic hyperarousal, which I can talk about more yeah. later. Okay. Um, and there are various symptoms, and if they continue for a long time, then you develop PTSD. Yeah. That's all the technical stuff. Yeah. So the line there almost sounds like something about a threat to life. That's how I heard it. Or, or like bodily integrity. So yeah, okay. something that you know could... Um, which basically is the same thing for most of us. Mm. Um, but again, what uh, what... People um, only about twenty percent of people that experience events like that actually then go on to develop PT- like symptoms of PTSD. Uh, so it's not if you go through something like that you will have symptoms of PTSD or something like it's. There's all sorts of things that go into that, and that may be more about where kind of what kind of support you get or what networks you're part of, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, 
as, as you mentioned, it is a very sort of even that word. I think for a lot of people, yeah. like brings up just the, saying the word trauma. I think on some like <coughs> level, it just like yeah evokes something in people. And I'm just wondering Ooh. today, is there anything you think that we might need to talk about this yeah. and for our listeners? I was thinking about you know that. it's like yeah. this is a pretty sort of intense topic, yeah. and I'm just like what yeah how I don't know. I, I think I would invite us and everybody to. Um, I'm not quite sure how to say it, but to kind of move slowly, maybe try to see, um, stay in touch with what you're feeling. If you notice you're starting to space out, maybe take a break from listening. Um, if uh, And if we're starting to space out, we might need to take a break from talking yeah. and talk about something else. Quite often in trauma treatment, the way to work on it is you kind of go into it for a bit, then come out, go in, come out. It's like to stay in there is risks re-traumatizing people. Uh, so taking a break is okay. Um, and do whatever you have that grounds you. So keeping your feet on the floor or uh, breathing deeply. If you know, I'm, I'm sure people have maybe have their own ways of coping with things. But this might be a time to sort of stay alert to that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm having a reasonably strong physical response right now. Right. Which I wasn't yeah. expecting, yeah. to be honest, to come here and talk about this. And maybe it's slightly because I'm talking about it with two people who know far much more about mental health than I do and actually the way you were categorising trauma I was like yep yep yeah. oh and that one too <laughs> uh, and now my heart rate is like rising quite rapidly okay. I'm sweating okay. uh, I'm feeling mm. a bit sick I've got a knot in my stomach mm. um, so yeah slow would be good yeah. is there anything that um, you know because I don't know that much about I know a little bit about your story but I don't mm. know that much about any work you've done is there anything that you find that helps kind of uh, calm you down or bring you back? I know this is a podcast because so no one can actually see what I'm doing, but I have, we have an, a camera. Oh, perfect. So I have an anchor, um, Great. which was created as part of my treatment, yeah. which makes me smile. Okay. Uh, and this is attached to some very positive memories that I have okay. with my wonderful wife. I won't go into any more detail. Fine. Um, but that's my coping mechanism. Whenever my my behaviours physio- physiologically show up yeah. that's what I reach to to calm me down which brings positive association into so this me. is the moment for that This is the, yeah. I haven't used this for a long time mm. probably two years mm. <laughs> but it still works yeah, okay. Great. <laughs> which is good what's it been like for you when you've shared your story because you, you mentioned you shared it pub- I mean let's just be clear you shared this story publicly to your entire company as yes. far as I'm aware, yes. So I don't know how your heart rate was then, and to and on a, and on another podcast. So what what was that like then? Um, a complete roller coaster of emotions, similar to what I'm experiencing now at the start. Um, I think it's very different actually in those two scenarios because when you are the co-founder of a business who is sharing it to everybody that works for you, you're exposing yourself. Um, vulnerability is obviously a really important word and and for me that was giving everybody the very very rawest form of me um, and sometimes I think you it's expected that you mask yourself as a leader through strength and confidence and actually I think that's quite a dated perception of a leader and I wanted to just give the very real me and hopefully then create a culture amongst all of my team that they could do the same if they wanted to Um, afterwards adrenaline 
both times. Um, and relief of that's over, I'm sure we'll have that. But also, um, it's healing sometimes, actually, I think, to vocalise it because I internalise it. I don't talk to anybody about it. Um, even when things show up and, and trigger me, I don't really talk to anybody about it. Um, so sometimes having the opportunity and seeing the reaction amongst people um, of kind of pride, of um, support, of love is just amazing. So we'll have a big hug at the end of this. Yeah, that's all right. spot on. That's absolutely <laughs> fine. We're a sanctus. That's how we. It's usually hugs over handshakes. So. Perfect. Yeah. You can have a hug during if you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I've learned about talking about it actually and reflecting about it when I've done broader learning about cultural change in our business is that it actually starts from a massive um, position of privilege, which also create created a great life high for me and my friends because we've been saving for a very, very long time, very passionate winter sports enthusiasts, um, and we uh, went on the what we perceived as being like the ultimate trip um, to go heli skiing um, in the Canadian Rockies um, at this incredible organisation of, of luxury, private helicopter outside your lodge, hot tub, amazing food. I mean, it was the dream. Um, so we went into that in this kind of almost state of nirvana, really, of like, doesn't really get much better than this. And what's heli skiing? Sorry, just to... Heli skiing is um, remote off-piste skiing on terrain that you can only access by helicopter. Okay. So you're out of a ski resort. I mean, to get to the lodge, we had to go in a helicopter. It's like proper remote, uh, isolated <laughs> skiing experience, but the benefit of it is that you're skiing in an environment that hasn't really been skied before. You've got meters of deep, untouched powder. It's beautiful, it's quiet. You're alone with your mates, the adrenaline. I mean, it's just an incredible experience. Um, but unfortunately, only our, our first hour into that experience, um, you know, nothing short of disaster happened. And, um, well, first, an interesting point to make, actually, to, to kind of explain the scene is when you heli-ski, you're in small groups of four because there's one helicopter in three groups. So the helicopter, there's somebody at the top waiting to ski the mountain, somebody at the bottom waiting to be picked up, and there's somebody in the heli- a group in the helicopter going to the next mountain. And we were at the top of the mountain, beautiful, untracked powder, sun was shining, um, but unfortunately, my guide made a stop very suddenly, um, and the whole mountain gave way and um, uh, wow, goosebumps. Um, and it was a mile and a half wide and uh, 1.6 meters deep, um, just collapsed in this kind of wall and intense cloud of uh, snow. And um, we could see the group at the bottom look up and you know kind of run um, for ultimately their lives. And you can't run away from a mile and a half of snow uh, and it skittled 200 year old trees um, and destroyed everything in its path and um, very sadly four out of the group of five um, were buried and two lost their lives Um, which was the start of 
a very, very difficult process because when you are that remote, um, you know, I think people then assume this huge rescue operation flies in from everywhere, but that's just not the reality, unfortunately. When you're out there, you are the rescue operation as well. So, you know, I remember our guide very clearly saying to me, this is, this is serious, this is real, we are now in a rescue scenario. And we had to make our way down through the rubble and actively try and save the lives of the people that unfortunately were buried and we weren't 100% successful um, and then the, the kind of trauma of the follow up um, the, and the police investigation and um, the grief and the families of the deceased who, which I love very much and are, are now part of my extended family um, was horrific Wow. I'm sort of finding myself not, I don't know, I feel like I've got a sort of crossroads in my head of wanting to go deeper into the story, because yeah. I, which I assume, I assume I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people want to know and ask about the sort of the details of the day, because it's such yeah, a... Yeah, it's interesting. It gets a mixed reaction. Some people don't know how to cope with that. Some people burst into tears. Um, some people obviously want, want to know more, particularly skiing enthusiasts who do their own off-piste um, want to Can know about... Can I just check right now for you? Yeah. Because we don't have to do it all at once. Yeah. Whether now is the time to go further or actually to... I'm okay. Okay. Just... <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah. And when I've talked about it to my team, they were sitting and listening and I could control the narrative and I was just coming in and out of the detail based on what I wanted them to know. The same in the other podcast because that was actually more focused on recruitment, talent and my career in it with this being a part of my career. I feel this is a far more exposed for me situation where not in a bad way because I trust you both but where we are here to talk about extreme life events mm. and trauma and I want to do that because I want it to be of a benefit to somebody that's listening and therefore I think if I if we stop here right and I go right that's enough then I'm not doing them justice yeah yeah so what would you like to know I, I think I was just I, I was I just the first thing that came is, is what was the what was how long like obviously the event the day happens yeah what was the what was the process you know you met, you said the word horrific and <clears throat> I wondered you know how long that that was in terms of that the police investigation and the grieving and um that. well I think to focus on the event itself the first thing that I remember very vividly is the fight or flight reaction of the whole group um, so the group that came down to help, the group, the helicopter came back with their group to help the helicopter then went back to the lodge to get the chef, the waitress the masseuse, they were all in the scenario to help um, some people couldn't bring themselves to do that they were being physically sick they had lost control of their body other people went into training, this is what we've trained for, this is the process. Um, 
this is what we need to do um, and you know the operation had been going as a heli ski business for 16 years and they'd never had to deal with this so it was quite an, it was a it was an unusual first time scenario for everybody including some of the most experienced guides mountain guides in the world um, and then the, the duration of that for us exiting the, the scene and the mountain was well over an hour. Um, the guide that we the guide that we dug out was buried face down for forty five minutes um, in under over a meter of snow, and we managed to get round to him and create an airway and resuscitate him, and he's now gone on to have two children, and that's incredible. Um, and I, I won't go into the personal story of my mates because that's theirs and that's theirs to tell and I don't know how much they would want me sharing. Sure. But my experience I'm happy to talk about and that was a complete mess. Um, you know, some, some horrendous things that still pop up in my mind are I had a GoPro on my helmet, which I hadn't turned off, so I had actually filmed the whole thing. And I made the decision to just rip it off my helmet and throw it as far as I could in probably anger. Um, and that's never been recovered, as far as I'm aware. Um, versus the experience and, and questioning of your own physical ability of can you dig fast enough? Why have you taken your gloves off when you're in a snowy environment, your hands are freezing? you're stood behind someone that's digging and they throw a shovel of snow in your face and it chokes you to the point you feel like you're suffocating and then ultimately you're recovering people that you love um, sorry <clears throat> and then um, the follow up I mean, we, we, were, we were booked for two more days heli-skiing, which obviously didn't happen. But we had immediate counselling and support. Um, we had support from everybody that worked there. We had support from the town, the nearest town. Um, and then I, I... We had... Oh, an unbelievable point was the support from friends and family. There were probably about 30 people at Heathrow when we landed. Um, you know, I had to go <clears throat> through the trauma of telling his family, um, which is part of the reason why they're so close now. Yeah. And then I had to make the decision, obviously, how the hell do I get back to working life? You know, being 11 months in, probably not in that, nine months into founding my own business, and the journey, you know, the journey that you're on when you're doing that is intense enough to get back to that, to get back to that level of focus, that level of drive, that level of intensity required to do that. Um, and I had to, you know, make the decisions to recognise that I needed to seek help um, because I couldn't, I couldn't cope. Feels different than any other podcast I've ever done. Mm. Same. 
Where are you now? Um, I'm asking that because telling your story, I'm wanting to, in certain sense, to remain a story rather than to take you too far back into that. I'm right now. Okay. That was the hardest bit. Right. <clears throat> you know, I'm very happy to talk about the steps that I took and the experience of trying to go back to normal life mm. after the extreme event, which I think is hopefully where people listening, if something happens that they can think, all right, so it's all right to go <clears throat> and seek help, it's all right to lean on loved ones, it's all right to burst into tears at random locations and public places. Um, and it's my belief, and I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but that it will never go away. Mm-hmm. There are coping mechanisms, but it's literally in my head like I'm watching it on television. Right. Or a disaster movie might be more appropriate. Um, but it, when it shows up for me, it is that real. I can remember the sights, the smells. Mm-hmm just right here in my head and that's when it shows up in nightmares Um, and I think that is still this kind of PTSD that I have to deal with that there are triggers in the world that will put that back in my head Mm -hmm. yeah that can happen anywhere right it's happened in the last 12 months that's happened with clients Mm. Um, it's happened with my daughter recently um when there was an avalanche on My Little Pony. And she's like, Daddy, why are you crying all of a sudden? Which is hard. Um, That's an interesting one for me because I don't know... She's four now and she's at school and she's amazing. When do you share something like that with your kids? Well, that I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) me neither. Over to you. Like, like I would know one... Yeah, and even if I if I had have children, which I, I don't at the moment, I I wouldn't know the answer to that. Yeah, maybe there isn't one. You just kind of go with your gut, right? And maybe when it when it when they ask when it comes up, and maybe when you're ready. Yeah, when it feels right, I, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I uh, I certainly feel it's listening to you share. Um, I was trying to sort of check in with like my own response. I felt really hot. That was my first. Yeah, I'm really hot. Yeah, bodily. I was like, I got really hot. Um, and, yeah, and actually, to, to be honest, like, to be totally honest, it's hard to take in. Mm. It's so, you know, I wasn't there. It's so big. It, I almost can't. It's unimaginable mm. in many ways. Um, and then I moved to just feeling really sort of grateful that you would, like, let us into that. Mm. Um, yeah, that was like, I just... Um, sort of admire your bravery really um, and to also remember that we've got some microphones in front of us and it's not yeah. just three guys in a room you know yeah, um, yeah that was my sort of um, response which I, I want to share because I think for often I think people don't know how to respond or what to do mm. when someone shares a story whether it's um, extreme 
as 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 what you've just shared is, or even if it's kind of something that we're maybe more accustomed to, like grief or someone dying or passing away or something. I I can feel the 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 vividness of it. I think that's what may characterise whether it's traumatic or not. Extreme events like that is um, it touches on our own as you're as you're talking. I can't help, and we can come on to this later, but I can't help but I keep seeing um, wasps in my mind's eye because I have something that happened to me when I was young that involved wasps that has led to a phobia and mm-hmm. symptoms of post-traumatic stress for me. Um, and that's what happens to me often when others talk about something that's traumatic for them. Is it like, reminds me of that. And so I'm sort of, I've got two things going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that can also be why it's hard sometimes to stay present because the, the intensity of the feeling uh, takes us to our own source of stress or, or trauma sometimes mm. as, well as, as well as the intensity of what you're talking about my cheeks are on fire mm. <laughs> well I wonder if it, it I mean this is just an idea but it might be helpful for us to talk <clears throat> around or about something for a while rather mm. than keep speaking because yeah. quite often this is a place where um, you know the natural instinct for coaches and therapists is to deepen an experience right to make it come more to life because quite often what holds us back is not being in touch with it mm. whereas actually this sort of thing is the time when it's better to do the opposite sometimes to sort of take the heat out of it um, by essentially yeah. avoiding it a little bit knowing mm. okay for a few minutes we're not going to mm-hmm. go further into that so I, I don't know how that would feel because I know it's kind of contrary to what we do on the podcast, which is usually to share stories and go deeply into them. Um, yeah. And, and I don't want us to become overwhelmed. No. You know? I think, though, often with one of the things that I've always hoped for in the podcast, in this podcast, is not, not just that we sort of share stories and obviously cover topics that maybe are taboo or are less talked about and we just kind of talk about mental health publicly in a, in a way that's normal and relatable is that we sort of by being on the podcast we're sort of role modeling how yeah. how we might have conversations like this and I sure. think that's the reason I shared my response because mm. there'll be millions of people and however many yeah. listen who will have experiences in their life where a friend or a family member tell them something that might be traumatic or whatever and are like mm-hmm. I don't know how to respond yeah. or I can't it brings up something for me or I often we've done podcasts before where people have talked about um, I remember one um, with Lou that was about grief in particular mm-hmm. and she lost her both her parents in quite a quick succession and I remember her saying like I told people and they cried mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and actually like she was like I had to manage their response yeah. as well and I just so mm-hmm. I just think yeah um, yeah, I, did, I think often like we or one doesn't know how to handle it, or maybe people feel like they have to handle it. You know, they well, have to sort of. Yeah, and sometimes we get it wrong. Some people may want to be like responded to, and others may want to be. Uh, you know, some people may want another to listen to them and to sort of hold the story, and other people may actually it may be really helpful to hear. That's how it impacts me, and sometimes I guess we don't know that ahead of time mm. to know, um, and it can be helpful to go. Okay, so this is what I'm doing right now. I'm just listening to what you're saying. Is there something else you need from me? Yeah. Would you like to know how it impacts me? Because some people might say definitely not, and others might be yeah that would be really helpful. Uh, I guess we don't know that without without sort of getting into it. 
Yeah, the only the only sort of experience I've got that's that's cl- was close to being sort of traumatic for me was was shutting down my first business, mm. which that is completely different. But it was a it was a horrendous process that was just like a knife twisting constantly, having mm. to do the liquidation and all that, and the shame that came with it. And I definitely didn't know what I wanted from people. Um, and I think I just you know threw myself into drink and going out and stuff like that. And actually, that was that worked in some ways. Um, and I just didn't have the ability to say actually what because what I did need when I look back is for someone to kind of I needed a, a therapeutic process, whether that was through a friend or with yeah. a therapist. I, I needed to talk about it. And I only actually ever had one mate who just one night in the pub was just like, mate, like what actually happened? Yeah. And I talked to him for about three hours mm. and just that was probably the first time I opened up. Um, and I don't think he necessarily knew that that's what I needed, mm-hmm. but he just sort of had the intuition enough to ask. And, and actually a lot of my friends didn't ask and actually I probably wanted that in those spaces as well. So yeah, um, yeah I think it's it's tough to know what you want and for other people to know enough about what they want and then maybe what you want as well we had a really interesting experience of talking about what we wanted in recovery um, became opposing to what those around us believed we needed because um, well in the the period I had kind of more traditional um, therapy um, with a, a wonderful guy in, in Fitzrovia and in my office, but then went to a, a brilliant organisation which my mother-in-law um, found following Peter Andre on Twitter. He, tweet, he tweeted about them and she was like, they could help. And it's an organisation up north called Talking to Minds, which is a charitable organisation set up by veterans for veterans. Right. Um, providing their own form of, of therapy for... PTSD and trauma which brought on another whole challenge for me which was the imposter syndrome of being around people that have come back from Iraq Mm -hmm. as a privileged recruiter that's been in a skiing accident Um, but they did a very very intense three day session morning to evening with me uh, and they created this anchor point and I believe it's it's kind of a CBT therapy but it was around not going over the event but the emotions that were shaping my behaviours around my PTSD that were causing these physical reactions, causing mm. nightmares and they uh, effectively hypnotised me to access my um, unconscious and change my perception of those memories with different associations mm. um, and it was amazing and it worked. And that was great, but the, the next response that came from all of us was we need to go back. Um, and that was met with- To the place. Yeah, mm. and that was met with a lot of resistance, completely naturally, and I totally understand that perspective. Um, but we felt that we were on this journey as a group of mates to do a once in a lifetime mm. thing that nature had gotten away of and somebody had for whatever reason stopped that journey in its tracks before oh, it really got, got going so many goosebumps and all of us felt the same wow um so the original group yeah you're all you've gone you've started to go through your therapy and healing and that process yeah. for how long 
best part of a year. Yeah, and then at this point, as a group, yeah, you all decide you want to go back. Yeah, so we were welcomed, obviously, by the operation and for no charge. And obviously, you know, they were in regular contact with us and would support us with anything, um, and still now. And um, we all went back, and on the same day, at the same time, got dropped in out of the same helicopter with the same pilot and the same guide and skied the same mountain um, in tears yeah, yeah. Um, but it was incredible it was absolutely incredible and we then had the three days of heli skiing that we felt we were owed in some ways. Um, obviously, I can't imagine the pressure that that put on our loved ones in yeah. the UK and the worry. And, you know, there was a flippant side of the lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place. Mm -hmm. um, but the town embraced us. You know, they threw a party for us. They... Um, we had this incredibly cathartic experience, which I think enabled us to go. That was that was it. Now we've we've done it. Mm. Yeah, I have this image of a circle closing in my head. That sounds like being able to finish something. Mm. Yeah, and I could imagine that would be really helpful. Yeah, and I think it helped them heal in some ways that we even wanted to be there you know mm -hmm. the, the guilt that they must have felt responsibility mm -hmm. you know they ultimately make the decision whether the mountain is safe through all the yeah. appropriate tests and they are the best at what they do and I believe that and you know they made the decision that that is the slope that is right yeah. at that time of day and I'm sure that that haunts them and I think it gave something to them to go back as well. I would bet. And we're all still in touch. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the things that, um, in, in quite a lot of the books that have been written about trauma, is that people often have this experience that a traumatic event like separates you. You're, it basically really, really damages your sense of being connected to others. And, um, and quite often you see it how, like, our first response when something difficult happens is to call for help we're trying to go right who's around that can help or that I can draw on <clears throat> and then when that doesn't work then we go into either because others can't respond or they're not there then we go into fight flight freeze etc and very often the reconnecting with the social world is a big part of feeling uh, safe again actually some sense of okay mm. no you are there I'm not alone um even though in that moment I may have felt very alone or like I was in a, a much more survival mode. Uh, so I could because there's a lot in your story about connecting with others, mm. the families of people, the people who were also there, like the, the guys mm. and things like that. I don't, really I don't know. Interesting. That, that's an interpretation, no, that's but I don't know. <clears throat> really interesting and resonates as even when I was um, trying to find therapy. Um, and this may be true for all sorts of different things, actually, but um, I couldn't find the right therapist. Uh -huh. I couldn't find a skier. 
I couldn't find okay. somebody that had any concept of what the hell I was talking about. Right. And all they wanted to do was to go into my family history and talk about when I was young and take uh-huh. me on that journey. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted somebody hmm. that could at least remotely relate to what the bloody hell I was doing in those mountains, hmm. why I was there, what I was seeking by being there. Hmm. Um, and eventually I found that in this chap called Mr. Hudson, which was slightly odd because his favourite song was by Jay-Z and Mr. Hudson at the time <laughs> and I was like well that's a sign uh-huh. um, so yeah that that I think provided safety actually yeah. it was something I was seeking I often have a sense just going a bit more on that that what happened to me when I was a kid is that I basically I stepped in a wasp's nest and uh, I think that even though it has led to uh, me having a phobia of wasps and I'm quite restricted like sometimes if I'm I don't like being outside in the summer sometimes for fear of, like it restricts a, a small area of my life but I think one of the things that made a difference for me is that I was able to, to run away and find the people that I'd left and I think it could have been I would have, it could have gone down a different road and developed more severe symptoms if I'd like been stuck on my own or something like that so it's, there's quite a lot like that happens after the initial event that makes a difference to what uh, things people end up experiencing yeah from what you've like both I've ever hearing you both say like the how the response like the response afterwards almost seems as if it's still part of the event itself like all the, yeah, all the research shows that really okay. that, like how people respond to you after an event like that makes a big difference right to whether you end up actually with really like you know severe symptoms of PTSD or actually something you know, not that it's not severe, but less difficult to manage, or, or actually, it's completely processed. Is that because you create creating a behaviour almost from the off? Is that you know, like if so, something really severe happens to me, I respond in a certain way. Hmm. Does that then be? I don't know. Is that? You know? I'm not sure that they know exactly. I suppose the theory would be you're back in that sense of feeling among others. It starts you. It gets you back into the mode of I'm socially engaged mm. again. Mm. It's not, you know, I'm not an individual trying to survive in what gives you that kind of seed of, oh no, okay, there are others who can help me. And the earlier that happens, probably the better, I guess would be the yeah the idea. For you with um, with with wasps, uh-huh. um, yeah, what? So you, you just, I mean, you just said then it, it's only it's affected your life in a small way. Yeah, well. I noticed that it, I started to notice it a couple of years ago that it got a bit was getting a bit worse over time that I was starting to get more nervous and react more strongly and I thought I need to do something about this so I went and did a bit of EMDR which is a, a specific type of a trauma treatment it's like called eye movement desensitization reprogramming they have a special way of yeah. doing it and um, that can work quite directly also, because I was living in Berlin over the summer, where there are, if anybody's been there, they'll know there are loads of wasps. Yeah. And actually, this summer, something changed for me, which I don't think I would ever be an advocate for exposure therapy. But I, got st- I was at a wedding, and I got stuck on a, um, a bus, and there was a wasp there. And I was around all these people I didn't know, and I sort of had this, my natural instinct, which is to run a million miles um, from a wasp. But actually, the wasp was right there, and it ended up landing on me which for me is sort of my absolute worst nightmare. Not that, because I've actually been stung by a wasp since 
mm. that thing when I was a kid. I know that it's not, I'm not afraid of being stung. There's something about like it being on me that really evokes this feeling of I've got to get out of here. And since then, I don't feel quite as panicked. Now, so I'm not advocating exposure <laughs> therapy necessarily, but there is something about being re-exposed to the same stress in a lower dose, yeah. which is quite often what you do in like long-term trauma treatment just through sort of like your imagination going a bit back into the story coming back out that that was I guess a sort of a accidental version of that where I went oh it's actually not so bad I can stay with that experience yeah um but that was just happened accidentally and and for you Ross what after these sort of you you've gone back on this you've kind of completed the trip after after a year how did how did what had happened start to kind of integrate or impact your your life you know you mentioned you were sort of nine months you were only a year into starting starting your business how did it how did it affect your your kind of ongoing life and, and mental health from there I think in many ways um I think the first thing is it's always there um you know the last nightmare I had was last week um and sometimes they show up in regular frequency, sometimes it can be six months. Um, you know, and it was 2012, March 2012, the event, so we're, we're quite a long way past that now. Um, there are triggers in the working world that cause responses. Um, we talked about My Little Ponies, but I've been at client events where they've done motivational speaking and suddenly there's been showcases of teams on Everest in avalanches and I've just lost it in the yeah. middle of uh, you know an event space with where I'm entertaining clients and they don't know why I'm just literally in floods of tears um, but it, it shows up with sights, touch, smells that sound of Gore-Tex crinkling like the ski oh. jacket just yeah. that's just really difficult for me and I still love to ski and I go every year without fail and I never want to stop but that's something that when you get on a chairlift and you hear your jacket I mean um, but I think the most important thing and maybe for the people listening is how do you get back to your family your career and your life once you've had the support and how much do you share with those around you is always a question in my mind mm -hmm because before we had the, the Sanctus partnership and before I told everybody that works for me about this, no, I don't think anybody knew, maybe a couple of people. Anyone at all? So I'm guessing wife, your wife knew. Oh, of yeah, course, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, the, the team that worked for me. But colleagues, yeah, no one. Yeah, you know, across the brands, we've there's 37 people in the office and maybe two or three knew about that experience. Yeah. And for some, it, yeah, it was. They didn't know what on earth I was going to say. What about you? Sort of wider social circles. Did did everyone know there? Yeah, the friendship group and yeah. uh, and are all very supportive. No one really mentions it now in terms of the the accident, but we do regular things to to remember um, those that were lost, and um, that's important for sure. You know, golf tournament, those those sorts of things, some charitable fundraising that helps. But work for me was the hardest thing to dial back into. Yeah. Because part of my mindset had just changed to, I don't give a shit. Yeah. And I'm going to get pissed. I'm not going to try as hard. 
I want to enjoy every single minute I have because it's a privilege. And going back into a startup environment um, with an investor who uh, was not terribly caring. Um, I remember going into a board meeting shortly after I was back and getting a grilling on my numbers and why I hadn't generated any revenue and why I wasn't focused on on that. And um, you know, I remember going into the room and my co-founder Richard actually only pointed this out a couple of months ago as his memory of that event. And we went into this space in Mayfair and he had these amazing new chairs and I was like, wow, nice new chairs. And he said, don't get too comfortable. Oof. And I was like, whoa. Bringing um, back some of my own, my own trauma on investment. And, really? Yeah. And that's yeah. why I try now, and, and I'm prepared to kind of do what I can, which is probably not very much, to change the mindset of that investor-founder relationship, mm -hmm. and even talking to founders who are seeking investment about the importance of the personal relationship between mm -hmm. you and your investor, and the importance that you're going to get support and it doesn't have to be through a traumatic event, does it? It just has to be through the business performance and through the roller coaster of being a founder that they're not just hammering you for their return. I think what you're saying is really important. And somehow, I think I do see a sort of connection what we're talking about today because we so often have no idea what, lie, what people have experienced or what, what we say to them that we mean about we mean it in a transactional way and we have no idea where it lands or what it touches on for somebody else, even inadvertently. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I guess pay more attention to the person-to-person -person kind of go, it makes you, in my experience, makes me more curious about you know, like what's happening between us and how am I impacting you. That doesn't mean I'm responsible necessarily for everything you feel with me, but... Um, yeah, we just so often don't know at all what, like Espe what's going on. Yeah, especially in the workplace. In, yeah, in exactly. My, in my, you know, my experience, I think outside of work with our friends and our family, often our relationships are, can be a little bit more whole or richer. You know, we we've seen, mm -hmm. say, you know, if you've been to school with your friends or university yeah. or you know your family you've grown up with, you've seen a lot of different sides of mm -hmm. of them in different situations where at work. Typically, yeah. I mean, we've only really maybe see one, possibly another side. You know, one side in the office and one side in the pub, perhaps. Mm. That is the standard British sort of working culture. Yeah, and I do think we can. I think, yeah, I, I think often people forget or aren't aware that there are. You know, I don't know this investor. Uh, in my experience, people aren't evil. Like you no. know, people are often maybe ignorant, and there may be. Uh, not very tactful. Or think they have to be a certain way in that in that position. Yes, mm. exactly. And don't see someone mm. in an office or at work or in a boardroom as as the whole rich person mm. um, that, that that they are. And that yeah, that I can see. That's how you know hurtful comments get made, and yeah, people feel yeah not heard or not listened to, or yeah, work can be a really difficult, difficult place. Um, yeah, I can't prove this, but I also have a sense that some, on some level we're, we're reticent to let that into the workplace because of what we experienced in this conversation, that, if we, that there are parts that we all have 
yeah. that actually are not easy for us to bear and for others to sit with. And a lot of people, we just don't know what to do mm. when somebody brings something that perhaps is very frightening or more, to mm. use the phrase, you know, extreme. Yeah. And so there is a certain sense of kind of, I don't know if it's comfort, but like kind of wanting to keep things narrow where we know what to do, mm. um, which is not particularly helpful and often everybody ends up lonely that way. Uh, but I do have a sense that those things are connected. And you actually see your colleagues more than you do your friends and family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so you're actually, if you do, when you did share that story with your team, yeah. you can't just share that story and then kind of like, see you all in a month, guys. It's yeah. that actually, I bet five minutes later or an hour later, you were in a meeting or sitting at your desk or the next yeah. day you're running a all hat or whatever it might yeah. be. So... And yeah, some of the some I had to manage the response of some of the younger people in the office, right. and I'm not actually saying it's because of age, but maybe it's it was life experience, lived experience. Mm. But they had quite extreme responses, sure. um, particularly one person who was in a lot of tears um, and quite difficult to comfort. Um, so I had to manage manage that response actually as well and and I also wor- worry like, does it create an environment where people become unsure of how to be around me mm. because they don't know what I'm feeling or how I'm coping sometimes um, but it's been incredibly to that personal relationship or connection with somebody that can lead to sharing which hopefully maybe this podcast will enable some people to do who haven't is the stories that I've been told from people I barely know when I've shared this in a one-to-one environment particularly clients very senior people that I admire and respect have suddenly just opened up Um, and that's been amazing yeah, and you something you said when we were sort of introducing is you said how this can spur on almost a, the way I heard it was almost a different way of being or, you know, when you were talking about this a bit more theoretically right at the start, you mm. said, oh, you know, when you go through something like this, it can change the way it can make you then think about mental health. Right. Is yeah. that your, is that, is that been, I assumed when you were saying that that was your experience? Yeah, definitely. Um, and... The my stepdad said something to me once um, a few years ago, which I've never forgotten. Which is, he said to us, to me, that the truth about any of us will shock all of us, and that has really stuck with me. To your point of, you do not know what somebody is going through, what somebody has been through, and I think now, through my experience, I feel compelled to do what I can which is limited influence, of course, but to change the environments around me in either our clients or, or as critically in our business to make it okay for anybody to open up about anything that they want to. And, you know, obviously, thanks to you guys and your influence, we have a culture where I feel that that is now allowed to happen. We have a safe space in the Sanctus Coach for people to do that but also we do our check-ins now before our all hands meetings and um people on on whatsapp or whatever it might be are now in a place i hope where they can um talk about their feelings 
And the next step for me in 2020 is how do we create that culture and environment in the clients and the creative businesses that we're embedded in as a talent yeah. and culture solution. And that's where we have huge opportunity for impact. So it's, it sounds like it has altered your world view in a way, is the closest world I could, or... Definitely. Yeah. I feel inspired listening to what your, what your aspiration is for, <laughs> for your relationships. And I really liked what your stepfather said. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, just, I, felt, I felt quite moved hearing that, and I thought, yeah, that's, that's so true. Yeah. You know, I work with people sometimes in long-term therapy and still after... You know, a few years. I'm like, I had no idea that that was a part of you, or that that was a piece of your history, or mm. um, yeah. There's so much more to all of us than we sometimes even than we know. Mm. What if, what is, what's been your working as a as a Sanctus coach, Ben, in, yeah. in Sanctus last few years? Um, and, I, and I joked at the start that you are a fan of trauma, and, and I mean mm. that in the sense that you've often you know considering we do coaching yeah you've you've been someone that as far as i'm aware has advocated that coaches have to be aware that even in a coaching relationship mm. trauma can exist yeah or it can because someone well, can be carrying it, it exists whether you're a coach or not yeah whether like, you're, it doesn't, yeah. you don't get to go that's i suppose my views you don't get to go well this is coaching so the trauma's not there yeah um, sorry, but you were going to ask. No, and that's yeah, and um, yeah. I just wanted to, to. I just wondered if there are any sort of, um, yeah, I don't know if, if if just what have you seen? You know, yeah, in coaching, in therapy, um, in people's sort of how people are kind of live or deal with or cope with trauma and how that. I don't know if you've got any sort yeah. of. Yeah, well, I quite often because. I'm aware that what I'm about to say is going to sound somewhat clinical, because, but I do find it helpful sometimes to think clinically in order to actually understand what's, what's going on. But there, it is helpful to distinguish between two types of what we call trauma. So one is like um, kind of traumatic, like something that happens is, is an incident, like traumatic, a shock trauma, yeah. basically. Uh, so... Um, someone gets in a car crash or someone gets attacked by a wild animal or something like that and uh, and that is often less um, can have extremely you know as, as you've been talking about us extremely like strong and severe symptoms that can become really difficult to deal with um, and also the treatment probably is shorter and people kind of know quite clearly this happened and then I started to feel this so I'm pretty sure they see a, quite a clear link. Yeah. And they may often come saying, look, actually, this happened to me, and since then, I've been having flashbacks. I've been yeah. having, I, yeah. And I just, you know, this is getting too, too difficult for me to keep functioning, so I need some help. But then there's what they call complex trauma, which is stuff that's probably more about uh, things that happened when you were a kid uh, in your family with uh, and happened developmentally, so perhaps not being... Um, basically to do the relationship between you and the environment, your yeah. parents, etc. And that is a bit, that takes longer to work with. And people may not even have a sense of that being part of their history because it's, got, yeah. it's now much more ingrained in your personality. Just uh, people are scary. Um, and you don't even know that that's what you're thinking or, or feeling. Um, so I think many of us have some sort of stuff that goes back a long way. 
and then uh, and that, that's that's something that really does need a more therapeutic space um, I'm not advocating then working on trauma in, in coaching mm-hmm. um, but it's often more easy like it's easier to identify okay something happened now I feel these things yeah. um, and what coaches I think could be able to do and often do is help sort of ground a person and not move them into trying to work on it in the wrong space and by wrong I mean a space where you're not there consistently enough yeah. uh, a person doesn't have quite the right training to, to kind of see the whole thing through um, and also you know in scientists I think what we do is great and it's in a workplace yeah. it may not actually be a contained enough setting to, uh, to really do much more than just help ground someone calm them down bring them back to the present and say right how can I help you find the help outside that's going to be yeah. that's going to really make a difference for you so what I really advocate is kind of upskilling coaches to be able to identify things um, rather than necessarily in our way of doing work with it yeah and I know for me being on this podcast like this happens to me every science podcast I'm on I mean I'll go away I come on I'm like you know we did one on like sex once and I was like oh, I haven't really got any experiences with sex ridiculous um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was like oh, this, I'll just host this one it'll be fine yeah. and then the next for the next three days I was like oh my god thinking about sex and all this and you know we did alcohol and the same yeah. so and it'll be the same with this like you know for me and I'm sure all of us will after this podcast will go away and you know for me um, yeah, I'm sure I'll think about things in my life, childhood events, all this sort of stuff. You've talked about wasps. I'm sure there are other things. Um, and I imagine for anyone listening, everyone will have, will resonate on some level yeah. with some sort of event or <clears throat> childhood scenario or family relationship. Um, yeah, that has yeah. sort of occurred. Can I say one more thing about that? Yeah, um, I was. It's interesting that we're talking about this now because I had a conversation recently with one of the um, people who work here about how we work in mental health but don't often talk about childhood which is often seen to be more like a therapeutic yeah. thing but it, but I guess what I would invite people to consider is that if we go all the way back to what like the definition of trauma is which is something that's a threat to life or bodily integrity if you're two years old the list of things that threaten you in that way is much bigger <laughs> than when you're an adult Yeah. so it doesn't mean that your parents were awful it doesn't mean actually that something really abnormal happened to you it just means that you were two or three mm. and had much less ability to perceive something as okay that's that's difficult but I can handle it because three-year-olds can't handle that much mm. so it could be that actually uh, there's a sense of trauma for, for lots of us and it doesn't come from the well-being evil necessarily although unfortunately that also exists yeah um it's more just the case of the, the intense vulnerability of being a child. Yeah, and I, and I know there's kind of different levels, essentially. Of course, but yeah. what would What would you suggest for, um, again, for us and for anyone listening that is, I suppose, is resonating in, in, in some way? Yeah. And, and depending on that intensity, I suppose, there might be a slightly different answer. Well, I suppose if, if you're resonating very strongly, that might be a sign that something is starting to come up and you could consider uh, whether whether you know what's going on and if you do whether you'd like to work on it with somebody um, but even before that I think we've talked a, a big theme in our conversation today has been about sharing your experience in a way that feels helpful for you whether that's with a friend or a trusted colleague or a mentor um, that might be a place to, to start if you feel some resonance you can't make sense of it it might be helpful just to start 
talking and say, look, I don't know what's going on, but I listen to this podcast on trauma. There might be something difficult uh, going on for me. Can I talk it through with you? And I'll try and let you know what I need as I do. Mm. I would imagine most people would be quite receptive to that. Yeah. At least I hope they would. Yeah. What about you, Ross, having sort of lived lived your experience and, and now is there is there anything you would suggest for anyone that's this resonating on any level really whether really strongly or um kind of softly softly i think there's two things um to two different audiences one if if personally something is resonating because of a previous experience is absolutely reach out to those around you for support um whether that is family, friends, colleagues, co-workers or professional help um, because as you said, really nice point, people are generally really great. Yeah, in my experience. Yeah, you know. and yeah. there will be so much love yeah. when you expose yourself like that. But the second audience is to anybody in the working environment who is responsible for somebody else's well-being please create an environment where it is okay for them to feel comfortable to bring that to work if, if they need to and to mm. talk to you about it. Um, because whether it's one person or whether you're running a business or whether you're a CEO of a huge business, that culture is going to create a better environment in your business, better productivity, more profitability and a more caring world. Agreed. I think I think also for me is uh, one place you can share is just kind of and this is just my experience just like with yourself that's why yeah. journaling has always been so powerful sure. for me I think the first person I had to sort of open up to was myself yeah. you know I had to sort of mm. that that's why writing and journaling in particular has always, always been so cathartic for me um, I think it was journaling in particular for me gave me like free reign to have like a you don't get judged by a white page in a journal mm. you know and then, and then that then enabled me, and I was felt more confident and comfortable to to kind of open up to other people. Um, I just want to say thank you to you for for many things. One, sort of sharing that with us and like letting us in to that to that world um, for just being a legend, being awesome. <laughs> um, and also thank you for I I must admit from what you, especially how you've how I must admit how you've actually connected back to the workplace in a little bit um, is has made me feel really connected more so to like the work we're doing here and the work we mm. get to do together as, as partners and stuff um, yeah as we do spend all our time at work so if we if we can't show up in a whole way at work or at least have the option to then I think that really um, can negatively impact our mental health yeah actually. and for me thank you for having me thank you for giving me the opportunity and a really safe platform for me to feel like I can go that deeply into that narrative and and thank you for Sanctus for supporting our business and some of our clients now in doing the work that you do to create the environment that we all want to be in cool cheers <laughs> and brief <laughs> wow is it too early to have a pint <laughs> Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. And um, if if something has sort of evoked an emotion or a strong emotion in you or, or whatever size um, or something's come up, I think please sort of, yeah, listen to the suggestions from, um, from myself, um, Ross and Ben. 
reach out to somebody. Um, I think importantly, something we've often said before, which I've, I've stolen from you, Ben, is, is reach out to someone you feel safe speaking to. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't just have to be about closeness. Um, shout out, we've got um, to the, if you're looking, you are looking for support, um, we have the Sanctus Directory, um, which is, um, yeah, got access to lots of different support, whether that's paid or, um, or we've got some low cost and free stuff on there or helplines um, for, for loads of different types of, of support. So, check that and yeah please reach out to us um if this has resonated as well so cheers everyone and cheers to to you guys thank you thank you bye